Welcome into Beyond the Beat from 32 Beat Writers. I'm your host, Zach Hyduke, and today we are getting into the offseason. Yep, you heard that right. The playoffs may be happening, but the NFL offseason is starting for those in the know. With the Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl coming in just a few weeks, now's the time to get ahead of the game. Today, in order to help me do that, I have with me lead NFL draft analyst and Bears blogger for the Windy City Gridiron, Jacob Infante. He's been featured on outlets including Barstool Sports, USA Today, NBC5, Chicago, WGN, News Nation, Bleacher Report, and a whole lot more. If you are looking for his Twitter or X, you can find him at Jacob Infante. That's I-N-F-A-N-T-E 24. And uh, you can also find his Patreon there as well. Jacob, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks, Zach, for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a fun time of year, busy time of year, but uh, you know, being a Bears fan, I'm used to uh, I'm used to January being always the time that <laughs> I'm preparing for the draft. So I wish it wasn't the case, but the good thing is it's helped me get a head start on this year's class. Yeah, and you know what? Um, as a Patriots fan, for uh, the first time in a couple of years, I guess uh, last year, uh, notwithstanding. Uh, I can join you. I know um, that I probably am the last person you want to hear complain about that. But um, yeah, I mean, you guys are in a really interesting situation this year, um, you know, and let's dig into that here in a second. But just as we think of things in general uh, regarding the, the draft and the offseason, um, you know, a lot of people that listen to us are, are fantasy relevant, but whether it's for a specific team that you're looking at or um, for something such as a fantasy uh, player, what type of things just in general are you looking at when it comes to prospects to help figure out if they're going to stick around in the league? Is there any sort of common theme? I know some players that are in the NFL may be more talented than others. Um some may just work harder, you know, think of Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, one obviously more gifted, not that Pat Mahomes doesn't work hard, but, you know, that was a classic story there. But is there anything specific that you kind of look for um, talent and, and everything else uh, along with that? Yeah, so I feel like there are a lot of different things that you could point to uh, that really indicate success in today's NFL. I think athleticism obviously stands out. I think, you know, it's obviously from a physical perspective, really helpful uh, if you're just straight up faster than everyone. And I feel like that's something where, you know, today's game is a lot more spread out on you know both sides of the ball than it was, you know, say 10, 20 years ago. So uh, teams are looking for speed, but I don't think it's just that. I also think it's knowing what to do with that athleticism. I think that's the big thing that you're seeing with a lot of these guys who have succeeded in the league. Uh, you know, I think that's what separates the, uh, the Jalen Waddles and the Tyreek Smiths from the Darius Hayward mm. Bays, uh, just as like a you know random comparison, I feel like you know having the wherewithal to understand your assignments, to know what to do uh, in order to either to get open, to make a tackle, make a play, uh, make the block, what have you, whatever the case may be, mm. uh, it's being able to maximize your physical attributes. I think that's what it comes down to in today's NFL. So. Uh, there are some guys where, you know, they're able to, you're able to coach them to do what, you know, what you want them to do. They have the tools. They just don't know necessarily how to do it. Mm. Uh, but I feel like you watch tape, you watch these prospects in college, and it's really the people who are maximizing their physical attributes who are making those, uh, you know, immediate contributions in the NFL. 
Yeah, yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Uh, you know, somebody who is both uh, at least uh, physically gifted is Caleb Williams there at the top of the draft with uh, the quarterback out of USC. Um, you mentioned that uh, you're, you know, we know that you're a Bears blogger and a Bears fan here. So a uh, quick question for you. I feel like I know what they might be doing based on who they're interviewing recently. But uh, if you were uh, GM of the Chicago Bears, would you be keeping fields or would you be trading him like it seems like they may be doing and going with Caleb Williams? So it's a, it's definitely a unique situation. It's not like anything that we've seen in recent years. I mean, you're looking at a team where the, the number one pick, they didn't get it from their own selection. So they were decent this year. They weren't great by any means. I mean, still bottom 10 isn't all that great, but you're getting the number one pick because of a trade asset that you acquired. So that's unlike something that, you know, we really see in most seasons and most draft classes. And I feel pretty confident that if the Bears didn't have a top two pick, they'd be sticking with Justin Fields. But I just think it's the circumstances. It's the fact that you have the chance to get Caleb Williams or even a Drake May. But I generally think it's going to be Caleb at number one. And I mm -hmm. think the Bears are going to make that pick and they're going to trade Fields because as talented as Fields is, as dynamic dynamic of a running threat he is as good as his arm is and as good as the flashes are at this stage it's been it's been three seasons and we're still relying on flashes to make your case for him this consistency just isn't there the game breaking ability just isn't there and when you consider the fact that you're going to have to pay him uh, upwards to 40 million dollars a year yeah that could be potentially handicapping for a quarterback who hasn't proven that he can lead a team to substantial wins in the NFL. So I think they're going to try and reset the QB clock, uh, extend that, you know, the time that you have on a rookie quarterback contract and also go for, you know, one of the most highly touted quarterbacks that the league has seen in quite some time in Caleb Williams. So that's what I think they're going to do. Uh, does it feel kind of shady? Yeah. I mean, after everything that, <laughs> that the bears have done for have two fields, uh, the bad situations that they've put him in, uh, the uphill battle that he's had facing, you know, multiple offensive coordinators having a lot of, uh, you know, weak offensive line, weak receivers over the years, especially earlier on in his development. And then you're just going to trade him, which I don't know, it doesn't sit right, but it's a business at the end of the day and you're in the business of winning games. And in my opinion, the best chance to do that is to draft Caleb Williams. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. And they've seemingly been signaling that uh, I know you posted recently about the interviews that Cliff Kingsbury was having with uh, the bears. Uh, I think you mentioned that uh, it would, would maybe help him in his transition to the NFL uh, so the interview made sense. I know that probably scares a couple of people. And if I'm somebody who, you know, is hoping that Caleb Williams does well, I, I almost feel like the gut reaction is to want Cliff Kingsbury as far away from him as possible, <laughs> but maybe that's a bit of an overreaction. Um, and just because he was a failure as a head coach, uh, down in Arizona, there doesn't mean that it's uh, impossible for him to help somebody transition the NFL. So um yeah i don't know do you have any other opinions on that to elaborate on that at all or yeah so to that point i feel like interviewing cliff kingsbury i mean it, it makes obvious sense especially if you're considering caleb uh bringing in someone who has that experience working with him hands-on 
even if you're not looking at him as a serious candidate, as someone you could bring in as offensive coordinator, it makes sense just to bring him in for an interview to get to learn a little bit more about the offense that Caleb ran, get to learn a little bit more about how Caleb is as a player, as a person in the locker room. Uh, so I'm all for bringing him in. As far as hiring him as an offensive coordinator, I'm not so sure because I understand the philosophy and I don't hate the philosophy of bringing in someone who you know, worked with Caleb in college and easing that transition into the pros. I get that. It's just I don't know if Cliff is the right guy for that. And when you consider, again, like you said, uh, again, the flashes in Arizona were there, but the substance was not, and things fell apart quickly. And as a true play caller, I don't know if he's the top option when you compare other guys that are out there on the market right now. Uh, I don't hate the scheme. I think the scheme is a good one. It's just that a matter of, you know, you don't necessarily know what to do with it. And with that in mind, uh, that's something the Bears have seen this year with Luke Getze's scheme itself. The play design isn't bad. It's just the execution. It's the decision-making that ultimately got him fired. So if you're going for a retread like that in Cliff Kingsbury, who has the same issues, in, you know, in, in a different way, but it's the same core issue. Is just you don't know what to do with these good plays that you have. And I, I wouldn't really know how to feel about that. I guess a mixed bag. I wouldn't hate the hire, but at the same time, it's definitely not my first choice. Yeah, and I think the coaching, GM, and quarterback stuff around the Bears specifically has been real interesting. I'm trying to remember if it was Courtney Cronin or somebody else, but they had tweeted and summarized like, you know, there was this GM and that head coach and then the GM left and the coach was, I, I don't even remember everything because it was like a whole list of things. But yeah, just the differences between the transitions between like right now, the head coach is staying around, but everybody else is basically gone. Yeah. Um, and then you're bringing in probably a new quarterback and then who knows what happens next year. Like, what do you do, you know, if they are only like four and uh, what would that be? Four and 13 or whatever. Um that's not necessarily unexpected with the rookie quarterback, you know, so who knows? I don't know. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I don't want to make it a Bears show for you because we do want to focus on the rest of the offseason here. But uh, thanks for your uh, information there. It helps give us context there around uh, Caleb Williams and that whole situation. So, um, you know, outside of Caleb Williams, though, uh, there's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. Some of them are trying to some people are trying to push up a couple of others into the uh, lower rounds or into the upper round other than uh, top, uh, the top three guys. So outside of Caleb Williams, how would you rank those quarterbacks? Um, you know, don't have to go super deep, but is there any more than three that will end up being first round guys? You know, uh, we're seeing you know, Bo Nix or Michael Penix maybe being. Uh, or J.J. McCarthy even, high second round, low second uh, first round in mocks. What are your opinions there? Yeah, so at this stage, I see as many as five quarterbacks going in the first round. Uh, whether or not that happens, I don't know, but I think that there are five that really stand out as, all right, I think these guys have a legit chance to go there. Caleb and May, uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May, those, those are my one and two right now by a substantial margin. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. I've done enough work on both of them. Uh, I've done, you know, a good enough amount of work on the other quarterbacks in this class to think that, you know, they're not, no one's going to overtake that one and two spot for me. And then it starts to get interesting because I know a lot of people have Jaden Daniels as QB three. And I don't hate it because he's not far off from QB three, but I have Michael Penix 
as my QB three right now. And really, wow. I know, I know I shouldn't because he's an older quarterback prospect. He's got a substantial injury history, but I think he might be the most polished, the most safe on tape quarterback in this class. I think he's you know incredibly accurate. He's got a good arm. He's got a good sense of moving around in the pocket. He's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's tough. He's poised, he's decisive, and he's accurate. And I think that those traits are really going to help him out in the NFL. And then I have – actually, again, this is something I feel like I might get hate for. J.J. McCarthy, four. Jaden Daniels, five. And Bo Nix, six. So the reason I have McCarthy over Daniels, it comes down, in my opinion, to arm talent. And Daniels is the superior athlete, and he has much better production at the collegiate level than McCarthy does from a pure – passing yards from a, a, a flash plays perspective, but I have McCarthy slightly ahead of Daniels for right now. Again, that could change. I still have some more of Daniels to watch, but I think McCarthy has a little bit more zip behind his throws. I think his ability to make plays off platform and make deep throws on the move is superior to Daniels. And Daniels is a better athlete, but McCarthy is still a great athlete at the quarterback position. It's, I feel like that's something that's not being talked about enough just because he didn't choose to run the ball a lot doesn't mean that he can't run the ball. And he's someone I think that if he does test in the 40-yard dash, he's going to surprise a lot of people with how fast he really is. So McCarthy 4, Daniels 5, and Nick 6. I feel like those guys all will go within probably the first two rounds. It drops off from there, and then I don't, I don't really see anybody getting drafted until day three. But those six guys, I think, are going to be like in that upper echelon. And the first five, I think, either will or could go first round. I think Daniels is going to go higher than I'd personally have him going. But okay. either way, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where all those QBs go because you usually don't see that many starting caliber guys heading into the league at the same time. No, no, not really. Um, I mean, even in that, what year was it? Um, I mean, you had three in the top and then Mac Jones um, there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so that felt like a lot. This would, yeah, I mean, that would be great. That would be really interesting to see. It's funny to hear your uh, thoughts on that because, yeah, I think it is healthy uh, to hear and, and evaluate. Like, okay, we have these guys, one, two, three. That seems to be the way everybody has it. But does that necessarily mean that has to be that way? I you know, have heard some people say they had Daniels one, which is, I know, probably pretty unpopular. But, um, you know, there was some someone saying that uh, who who's fairly respected. Um, and then, you know, you could some people are debating May versus Daniels but you have Daniels way down uh, at the bottom. And uh, that's be interesting to see with um, the senior bowl coming up. Like we mentioned, we can talk about this more later, but both Bo Nix and um, Michael Penix are going to be there. The age thing with Penix that you mentioned, why does that worry you just for some people who may not uh, have context on that? Yeah. So with age, I mean, ultimately it's, you're getting fewer years on your investment. And even if the, even if the pick hits, even if he's a guy who's going to be in your organization for 10 plus years, uh, you're, you're not getting as much out of him as you would another quarterback. And there's concerns about that. There's concerns that maybe he's already peaked physically and with older prospects, you don't have as much time in their athletic primes to work with them uh, to develop them. And, you know, you can always improve mentally, but it's a matter of physically, is he going to be, is his arm going to be any stronger than it already is? Is he going to be any more athletic than he already is? 
so that's, you know, you're looking at a less, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to put this. You're looking at a smaller physical prime window with mm. an older prospect. So someone who's going to be 24, 25 entering the NFL, you might not have as many years out of them. And, uh, you know, just realistically, that's something that can affect your longevity. It's something that can affect your ceiling at the next level. And there have been quarterbacks who are a bit older. There have been prospects who have been a bit older to enter the draft and to enter the NFL who have gone on for to have some success. Uh, but there is a risk attached to it. So I'm more concerned about the injuries with Penix than I am with his age. But, okay. you know, him being an older prospect, it is something to worth uh, mentioning. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it also has anything to do with sometimes if you're doing really well in college, but you're, you know, had like you're a couple years older than everybody around you, maybe that would have anything to do with it too. So it's hard to know whether that success will translate. Would you say there's any worry there? Uh, to an extent, but at the same time, I think at a at like a Pac-12 level, that's not so much of a worry for me. That would be for, you know, like a smaller school prospect where it's like, hey, this guy's 24 years old. He's beating up on 18-year-olds, basically. Uh, sure. You know, then that would be a little bit different of a conversation. But I think in a Power 5 conference, especially like the Pac-12, uh, rest in peace, I do think that ultimately, uh, you know, it's that aspect of it isn't something that I'm too worried about. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we had some shakeups there with quarterback for you. What about with a uh, wide receiver? We've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Most people have locked in uh, number one overall, and now he is amazing. But I I'm curious, do you really think that he's locked in number one? Or if he's not, or if he is, how close are the next couple of guys? You know, we've got uh, Roma Dunza. I think that's how you say it. If I'm messing that up, uh, you know, Correct me there, but then Malik Neighbors is uh, projected pretty high as well, and and those guys, according to some people, are are pretty darn close. What's your opinion? Yeah, so I have Marvin Harrison Jr. as my wide receiver one as well. I have it by you know a good amount of a margin, and that's not to to uh, to hate on a Dunze or Malik Neighbors or anyone in that regard. Uh, it's just more to show that I think Harrison's one of the best receivers we've seen enter the draft in some time. I think with this, you know, the combination of size, athleticism, football IQ, ball skills, hands, physicality, he's essentially the total package. There's mm -hmm. so much that he does well that I feel like he's going to be able to contribute at a high level right out of the gate. So I do have him by a considerable margin. I'd, I'd be shocked if he wasn't the first receiver taken. I'd be shocked if he wasn't the – uh, if he wasn't the first non-quarterback taken in the draft. And just because you're looking at, I think either three or four, if the Patriots want to take a quarterback, I think they'll go in that direction. Uh, and then you'll fall to the Cardinals at four. Uh, either that or the Patriots just take Marvin Harrison at three if they're not sold on a quarterback uh, outside of the top two. So, you know, you know, with that in mind, I think that, you know, Adunze and neighbors still carry very high grades on my board, but, Marvin Harrison's still someone that I, you know, I hold in a very high regard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody else a little further down the list or anything like that, that uh, you're really interested in? Uh, we're going to have some guys again, we'll, we'll talk about the senior bowl here too, but uh, there's a, a lot of guys at the wide receiver class. Do you have any favorites that maybe aren't in the top couple? 
Yeah. So as far as that goes, there are a couple guys in like that round two, round three range that I really like. Uh, Lad McConkey out of Georgia is someone I'm a really big fan of. He's, you know, a shifty athlete. He's a, you know, an effective route runner, someone who thrives after the catch. He's, you know, has a knack for getting open and just, he has the ability to stretch the field vertically. Uh, Devontae Walker out of North Carolina. I think he's someone that, you know, maybe faded in the background a little bit because, uh, you know, he had those eligibility issues to start the game. He missed a few games. But once he did get going, he was, you know, he was Drake May's top target. He's physical. He's a good route runner. He has great ball skills. He's someone I think can dominate as a boundary X receiver at the next level. Uh, Jalen Polk out of Washington is a guy I'm a fan of. Ricky Pearsall from Florida is someone that I think should be talked about much more than he is. Uh, and then a little bit farther down, you're looking at Javon Baker out of UCF, uh, Jaquan Jackson out of Tulane. Those are just a couple guys that, you know, those two more probably day three, but everyone else I could see going pretty early on day two. So it'll be interesting. I agree with you in that it's a deep wide receiver class. So I'm curious to see where all those guys end up. Yeah, you're getting me excited because in a week or two, I'm going to get to see in person like three or four, I think four or five of the guys that you mentioned yeah. there uh, out of the, the Senior Bowl. They got a really good lineup there. Um, so I am very excited about that. I think in Daniel Jeremiah's uh, mock draft, he dropped a couple of days ago. He had Walker going in the first round as well, if I remember correct. So, you know, maybe maybe we uh, maybe you're onto something there and he tends to be plugged in. So maybe he's got uh Maybe you and him have some inside information on that. Um, <laughs> the the tight end position, I mean, I, I'll being honest, is probably the one I'm the least uh, familiar with here. Just I know that we've got Brock Bowers. You know, he's been the guy that everybody's been excited coming out uh, for a while. But uh, with the whole Kyle Pitts situation down in Atlanta, I know we can credit a lot of that to the head coach. But just with the fact that you know, you can get a tight end a little bit cheaper. You know, we see somebody like Dalton Schultz, you know, doing great things for the Texans this year, things of that nature. How high is it really realistically possible for somebody as dominant as Brock Bowers can be to go? And um, how does anybody look behind him? I, you know, educate me a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, so I think that, you know, obviously Brock Bowers is my tight end one in this class. There's a pretty massive gap, and I feel like he's someone who has the potential to be a top five tight end in, in this uh, in this league. Mm -hmm. So with that point, I don't think he goes top five. I think that's a little bit too high for him. He might be a pure, like just off of pure talent, a top five player in this class. But when you factor in positional value, when you factor in team needs, things of that nature, the way that the draft order stacks up, I don't think he'll be a top five pick. A top 10 pick, though, I don't think is out of consideration. I think he's, you know, that's a rare thing to do for a tight end, but Bowers is a freak athlete. He's one of the best route runners the tight end position has seen in the draft in some time, uh, you know, dominant after the catch. He's a better blocker than I think people give him credit for. And the versatility that you have with him is through the roof. So, I, I feel like if you look at Bowers as less of a tight end and more of an offensive weapon, I think using a top 10 pick on him becomes a lot more uh, acceptable, a lot more palatable. So I think he should go in the top 10, whether he does, I'm not sure. I feel, I feel pretty confident saying, you know, he'll be in the first half of the first round. Uh, but I feel like from a pure talent perspective, top 10 pick, no question. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, the um, and that 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 makes sense with everything we've been hearing. And yeah, you mentioned the the positional value there. It's such a hard thing to figure out what uh, what to do with. Um, I mean, heck, last year we saw two running backs go in the top uh, twelve, right? So um, maybe we see something uh, just because of the talent level. But uh, maybe we should watch to see if he does get pushed down a little bit uh, more than some people maybe would think. The weakest position, from my understanding, seems, at least on the offensive side of the ball, seems to be uh, the running backs. Um, what do we do to sort this out? Is there any real uh, projection on you know, what we can expect? Is there anybody that, that you have as a favorite? Um, I've recently been a little interested. I don't think he's anywhere near going to be drafted as the first guy, but uh, I've liked some uh, Dylan Lowby recently out of New Hampshire. Yeah. That's been fun. But uh, what do you think? What do you think about the running backs? Yeah, so I don't have any running back in, graded in the top two rounds. Uh, I think that Travion Henderson going oh. back to school for another year, uh, you know, that's a, a bit of a hit to the high-end value of this class. Uh, Raheem Sanders – uh, from Arkansas, I think he transferred somewhere. I don't Ole Miss, maybe. Uh, but him coming back to school also hurt the class. But you know, that's not to say that there aren't contributors in this class. I think you're looking at Blake Corum from Michigan is someone I think could be a solid starter. Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. He's uh, he's a young workhorse. Like he's like rarely young for his uh, for his draft status. I want to say he's like 20 or something right now. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, and then you're looking at, you know, guys like Audrey Estime out of North, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Will Shipley from Clemson, Trey Benson from Florida state and uh, Jonathan Brooks from Texas. I think that's that, you know, that top tier of running backs in this class. And I don't think any of them are really going to touch the first round might see some one guy in the second round or something like that. But I think rounds three and four is mostly where you're going to see those guys go. Uh, it's not a bad class in terms of depth. I need mean, Dylan Lobby, like you mentioned, out of New Hampshire is a really fun guy to watch. Uh, Isaac Garendo and uh, Jawar, John, uh, Jawar Jordan out of Louisville, both of those guys are really interesting. It's like a thunder and lightning sort of situation there. Uh, Cody Schrader from Mizzou had a really fun season. Uh, and Jalen Wright is a guy from Tennessee. Breakout year. And I think he's going to turn some heads at the Senior Bowl. So – it's not like this class is completely devoid of people. I think you're going to contribute at the next level. It's just that there's no true star. There's no Bijan Robinson. There's no Saquon Barkley. Uh, but even then, you know, a little bit farther down the list, I wouldn't say there's a Jonathan Taylor either. Uh, so just mm -hmm. to get a, an understanding of where this class is, uh, it's going to be a lot of rotational guys, going to be a lot of guys who can, you know, maybe start for a few years. Uh, so no true star power, but, you know, there's a decent amount of guys who could end up uh, making an impact on, you know, several different NFL teams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The depth is interesting. And again, the positional value, I wonder if over the next couple of years, we just see running backs in general push down. I would have thought that going into this year though. So, um, yeah, who knows, but, um, from a later round projection or, or maybe even just anybody you think might be a value pick, um, is there anybody or any couple of players that you think, uh, yeah, maybe they're drafted a little bit later than uh, one would hope, but maybe you get some good value there in the draft? Anybody that pops to mind for you? 
Yeah, so one guy, uh, I know I mentioned Javon Baker out of UCF, the wide receiver. He's someone that uh, I've been kind of bullish on lately. Another receiver I like, Luke McCaffrey out of Rice, you know, relation, you know, to the family, obviously. But he's someone who he stepped in as a former quarterback at Rice and, you know, made the transition. He's been really good there. Uh, has He's a tough, big-bodied receiver, can win out of the slot, can win outside, good hands, uh, good body control. So he's someone that I'm looking for on day three, I think, can make an immediate impact somewhere. Uh if you're looking for like a real, real deep guy, uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Flournoy. Ryan Flournoy is out How of – How do you even spell that? <laughs> so it's yeah, F-L-O-U-R-N-O-Y out of Southeast Missouri State. So he's someone who got invited to the Shrine Bowl. Uh, you know, Raw is the day is long, but he's a freak athlete. He was on uh, – uh, who was a Bruce Feldman's freaks list with the athletic heading into the year uh, and that pops on tape. He's a big guy, you know, runs really well, you know, great, great speed, great physicality. So uh, as like a later round pick, I think he's someone that a team's going to take advantage of because a freak athlete like that, uh, you know, you hit undrafted free agency, a lot of teams are going to be in on him. So I wouldn't be shocked if someone uses a pick in the seventh round or even the sixth round on him really. Okay, yeah, that'll be a name I have to look up because that's one that I haven't heard yet. Um, so that's the type of stuff. That's why we have you on to give us that deep <laughs> stuff there. Um, you know, we've mentioned, you've mentioned, uh, again, you're getting me real excited here about the Senior Bowl coming up. Uh, and for anybody who doesn't know, we're going to be there uh, live this year. We're going to try to get everybody some clips and uh, some interviews and things of that nature. But uh, obviously you can catch it on NFL Network as well. But um, as we look at that mostly the week of practice you know is what we're we're looking at the, the bowl game's interesting but that week of practice can be real critical for some of these guys uh who are you looking at to make an impact i mean half the guys you've named so far uh are going to be there that they've accepted invites uh even some of the later guys like mccaffrey uh, as you mentioned whose brother uh seems to be i guess he's headed for the championship game now this year um Anybody specifically that you're looking at to see what they can do there? And as we go through these bowl games, whether it be the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl, what type of things are you just looking for? How do players uh, help uh, get themselves some some pop? Yeah, so I think a lot of the a lot of the cases that guys can win here is in positional drills. I feel like those are the ones that tend to go viral, honestly, especially receiver one on ones. Uh, you know, maybe not the most translatable to the NFL just because, you know, you don't have that much time to go and run a full route like, you know, you have in the senior bowl sort of situation when it's one-on-one, -on -one, you have all that space to work with. Uh, but teams take note of it. And if you can win in legit ways, then, you know, teams are going to take interest. I feel like someone that could, you know, really benefit from a strong senior bowl is Malachi Corley from Western Kentucky. Uh, he's a wide receiver where he wins a lot after the catch. He's the type of guy. He's got a running back like build. He's physical. He's you know quick after the catch. If he can prove that he can separate against power five competition, if he can prove that he can win in those one-on-one -on -one situations against, you know, a higher level of competition, then I feel like he's someone who could go as high as the top 50. He's someone who's got really good tape dominated at the collegiate level and, 
ultimately, I think that's something that these all-star games, you know, really help out some of those guys who don't play at the power five level, get them the chance to, you know, play against, you know, an uptick in competition. And that's when the guys really start to make their money. So Malachi Corley, someone that I'm interested in, uh, at the tight end spot, I'm going to go with a really deep poll. Uh, Mason Pline out of Furman at tight end. He's someone that uh, I think it's a little bit of a weird situation because he's raw and he's from a small school. So I, I don't really think he's mm. going to get drafted, but he's just a big physical body who wins above the rim. He's you know really good in contested catch situations, physical, uh, tough, coordinated former basketball player. So He's someone that I'm going to look at at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, unfortunately, not in person, but I feel like he's someone to keep an eye out on and probably more of an undrafted type of name. But he's someone who I think that if he really you know, thrives against that uptake in competition, then I could see him maybe sneaking into round seven. Someone takes a shot on you know, a former collegiate basketball player making the conversion to tight end and using those same box-out skills to uh, thrive in the red zone. So he's someone that I'll be looking at at the tight end position as well. Sure. Great stuff there. Thanks for, for giving us some of that. Um, and, you know, for everybody listening, make sure to write down those players and uh, some of the players that we mentioned before. Make sure to do your research there and be watching for our Senior Bowl stuff. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we let you go, though, where can we find your work and everything you're doing? Yeah, so you can find me uh, over on Twitter at Jacob Infante 24 uh, just the way that my name's written down on the screen. Uh you can find my written work over at Windy City Gridiron, which is the Chicago Bears page for SB Nation. Uh, you can check out some of my exclusive draft content over on my Patreon, which is, I want to say, linked in my Twitter X profile. Uh, if not, then I'm going to have to make sure to change that. But yeah, that's where you're going to find a lot of my stuff. I'll be you know, posting a lot of my thoughts on, on prospects these next couple months here. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So make sure to you know come along for the ride and join me. Yeah, make sure to give him the follow there over on X. We do retweet him, but uh, he's got a lot of stuff that, of course, doesn't make it through all the time. So make sure to do that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. We are super glad that you are here. Don't forget to go and follow him, like we said. Read all the work that he's doing for both Windy City Gridiron as well as his Patreon don't forget to like, rate, review, and repost this to help out the show. And also, if you haven't yet, be sure to check out our Patreon as well and all of the previous podcasts on our website, 32bwriters.com. We are dropping a new website for you soon, so be sure to look out for that. We've got a lot of new features coming your way. For 32B Writers, I'm Zach Haidu. We'll see you.